Hi! Against all odds, you've downloaded Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. There's good and there's bad and then there's in between. With Matsy and Micah, you'll see what I mean. I'm good Matsy. And I'm bad Micah. You all knew that. So on Animation Celery, uh, we assign cartoons to watch and then we review and discuss them the following week. And last time, Matsy gave me the surprise of the 12 tasks of Asterix. And I followed that suit by assigning a French movie that I also have not previewed. We're going to talk about Kirikou and the Sorceress. Uh, as always, we're going to get into it slowly by first talking about the news. So what's going on, Matsy? Well... After months of teasing, <laughs> Netflix finally launched the Cuphead show. Yes. Have you seen this? Have you read about this? I've watched a couple episodes. Okay. Uh, Cuphead. For anyone who doesn't know, Cuphead was a video game that came out some years ago designed to look like a cartoon from like the 1930s. And the premise is that these two little characters, Cuphead and Mugman, gambled with the devil and lost and owe him their soul, but uh, they've gotten around it by instead making a deal to retrieve souls from other delinquent cartoon characters who owe the devil. So it's like a game where you go around fighting bosses and yeah. Uh, the show loosely follows that plot in that the first episode does feature Cuphead losing a game and owing the devil his soul. And there is some recurring th th that that concept does recur here and there where the devil needs that soul. But mostly it seems like it's just like kind of a Roger Rabbitish thing of, you know, this is the kind of cartoons that these characters make when they're not in a video game, you know? Yeah. Uh, hmm. So I watched it all. Okay. Which was not, it was not terribly difficult because there's 12 episodes and they're 10 minutes each. So it's not super long. No. I don't like it very much. Ha, huh, okay. I find that, let me see. Aesthetically, mm -hmm. I don't think it does enough to look like an old cartoon. Well, you the character designs are. Yes. I thought that it looked better than the, the first look at it. The first look at it, I thought that it didn't do enough. So I was mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised that it did better than I expected. Mm -hmm. But as you say, the direction isn't old timey. No, but it, yeah, I don't know. Like, like it, it, go on. The, the, the faces that the characters pull and like the way that the speed that they animate at the things the the poses that they make. Right. It's all modern. Like this, this, I, I reference Ren and Stimpy as a comparison fairly often, but I think that's just because it was the, the facial expressions that John Chris Falusi draws are so influential. Yeah. Like, this this cartoon wouldn't exist in this form in a pre-Ren and Stimpy world. No. I 
I appreciate that it uses some older sound effects, although I must say those sound effects all seem to be from the 70s and 80s. Right. Like you recognize the the falling down sound from like the ant and the aardvark. Hmm. Um, there's lasers and punches and things that are all in 80s cartoons. It's too sharp. This 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 looks like it was made in the 2020s. It doesn't look like it was made in the 30s. Um, it right. They they put a little bit of a filter on it to give it a little bit of artifacting, but it's so subtle you don't even notice it. I want it grainier. Well, want, like the 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 video game itself has the occasional uh, cellulose hair that comes up on the film strip. You know. Yeah, the video game actually does a better job looking like a 1930s cartoon than this cartoon does with a tiny art department and some of them that weren't like seasoned professionals too. Yeah, really. Yeah. And then the other thing is that, like, it's just not very interesting. The Hmm. gags that you pull off, like, you know, I don't expect everybody to be Tex Avery or Max Fleischer, but, like, they just go through the motions. Like, oh, here's an episode where a baby shows up on their doorstep and they have to look after it, but they get in over their head. But then nothing cool happens. Yeah. It's like, Hmm. oh, the baby pushes a a gold shift. A gold shift? Right. Go. A goldfish bowl. He he bangs into a, a china cabinet and then Cuphead has to catch all the dishes before they fall down. And it's all just like nothing particularly new or interesting. I was really bored watching this. And you watched it all yet. Um, hmm. It it actually the last episode actually introduced a new character, uh, Ms. Chalice, who is a DLC. She. She is a minor character in Cuphead, mm-hmm. the the game, and she's going to be a playable character in the forthcoming DLC. And so I knew, like, I saw her there. She's in the opening credits and everything, so, like, I knew she was coming. Mm-hmm. And it waited until the last episode to introduce her. And I knew there was more to her because she's, in, in the video game, she's a ghost. Right. Uh, who turns into a mortal for the purposes of the DLC. So I knew there was more to her than they were showing. Um, But it was, that was, that was the time when I finally got interested in the 12th episode. Huh? Like, okay, I can get behind this. Also, the 12th episode was the only one that had a gag that made me laugh. Woof. Huh? And after being so boring for 12 (laughs) episodes, it then had the audacity to end on a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. So we have to wait for season two of Cuphead, I guess. Would you say then that there's just not a lot of love in this? Maybe. Maybe that's improper to say. I. I just don't think minds the caliber of the minds that were making old cartoons made this. I think they Hmm. I think largely it's just going through the motions. Right. It's like they had the idea. Let's make a cartoon that kind of looks like a really old cartoon. But I mean, they're using computers. You can't expect people who have been trained in animation in the modern day to be able to animate like they did a hundred years ago. Well, also that they should want to. Right. Like I I kind of think about that for for people that are sticklers, whether it's adhering to a book or whatever, you know, that like it's not exactly like that, but it's like. You know, creative people have to express themselves to some degree. So I wouldn't. But I think 
that it would be inevitable. Like, even if they tried their very best to represent, like, Fleischer or Novel Tunes and the like, mm-hmm. that they would have their own discoveries that would percolate through, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they didn't push that, that you know, stylistically, comedically, they didn't push to be like those things. No, no. Um, I, like, there was a moment... Early on, I noticed that they had, like I said, these characters are drawn digitally, I'm sure. Yeah. And I noticed that they had gone to the effort to put a slight drop shadow behind the animated characters to make it look like an animation cell. Because if you look at if you look at some cartoons, you can see a bit of shadow behind animated characters. Yeah. A really good example of this would be like the early episodes of The Simpsons. It's quite obvious in those. Right. And so... I saw that little bit of shadow and I appreciated it. I'm like, oh, that that's a nice little touch to try to make it look cell animated. But then there was one where their Cuphead and Mugman's father figure, uh, Elder Kettle, Mm -hmm. was laying in bed. And, you know, they were like fluffing up his pillow. And the way that this would be done if it was cell animation is that the kind of the puffs of the pillow would be drawn like the background pillow would be painted as a background. Okay. And then when they're drawing the character, they would draw like a bite taken out of the character where the puff of the pillow is overlapping. Got what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so then that bite would have a shadow behind it because that's what's on the cell. Hmm. And in this, the shadow on the character disappeared behind the puffs of the pillow. And then the part that was like the 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 part of Elder Kettle that was bordering the pillow puffs didn't have a shadow on it. Okay. So it was like, oh, so they've just deleted that little bite of the the um <laughs> the, the, the what's the what's the word I'm looking for? The digital object. Right. Without putting a shadow. Like the shadow that's on the back of the character actually goes behind the puffs of the pillow. Well, this is the kind of pickiness and, you wouldn't have if you were having fun. You know, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was like, that was me. I mean, it's nitpicking. I know it's nitpicking, but I was like, I couldn't it. The, the, the illusion was ruined for me. Okay. This, I, so I just thought it was okay. Like I thought, I thought the voices they chose fit pretty well with the characters. I Um, didn't like the voices a lot. Although at the same time, I realized that that's how they have to sound. Like mm. Cuphead and Mugman have to have that kind of exaggerated Brooklyn accent like Bugs Bunny does. What do, what do you like think? That's just what do you think if they weren't properly lip synced? Like if it was like Jack Mercer talking over animation that was done first. So it would just be like an astonished face on Mugman. But then he'd be saying like, oh, I don't know, or whatever, like <laughs> on a total lack of lip sync. Would that have maybe fit better? <laughs> it would have amused me. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think I had so much ill will towards the cartoon that at that point I just would have like scoffed at it for trying too hard in places where it fell down in other places. Mm. I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's hard to say. But yeah, I found I found the Cuphead show to be underwhelming in every way. I found it better than I expected. 
but I was coming in with <laughs> expectation of it disappointing me hard. So um, mm-hmm. uh, one thing is they don't translate the video game. Like these guys, at least the two episodes, don't shoot out of their index fingers. Um, they don't, know. And when I saw that baby, the, the baby is a bottle. Yeah, I like and, that. And it's uh, it's the top of its head is a pink nipple. Yeah. And so I thought that would be the perfect chance to parry. <laughs> yeah, just jump up, get your little star. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, there aren't the show does not follow the video game very well. No. Characters from the video game do show up. Yeah. Um, like there's one episode that revolves around the two boxing frogs on their house, like the uh, uh, showboat. Yeah. Um, there's the three headed dragon shows up briefly. Uh, the pork rind. Pit. I was actually going to ask. I, I'm. I don't think he shows up in the first couple of episodes. Does he? There's a different pig, but no, not a. Uh, yeah, no, no. The shopkeeper pig pork rind does show up later. Yeah. So there's a pig for you to look forward to. Does he speak in uh, terrible audio? No. Oh. I kind of. <laughs> I wish, like, because the. In the video game, he has this really deep and gravelly voice, but he doesn't talk very much. It's just like you go into the shop and he just goes, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, I mean, you can't sustain that for like an entire voice role, but. Well, maybe if like he didn't say much and then mm. Mugman and Cupman filled in for him like, oh, so you're saying this is a good deal or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, not a lot like King Dice, yeah. the, you know, it was kind of a big deal that they cast Wayne Brady as King Dice. Yes. He's in one episode mm. and his voice is so unremarkable that anybody could have done it. Ah, uh, huh. Like I said, under you name a thing about Cuphead and this cartoon managed to do it in an underwhelming fashion. Uh, okay. That's that's all there is to it. I, I mean, it it brought back fond memories of the video game. Like I sat there, you know, a lot of the times the police officers are bees. And yes. I was like, oh, yeah, there was a level where there was I, there I, was bee police. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I said, it's 12 episodes that are 10 minutes each. So I guess it's not a huge investment of your time. But I think after a few episodes, the average person is probably going to go, OK, never mind. Maybe it's got the dubious honor of. Being a better translation of video game to cartoon than Mega Man, huh? Maybe <laughs> I, I would have to watch more of that Mega Man cartoon. Like at least that there are the robot masters, and Mega Man has the ability to take their powers by touching them on the arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Ah, I don't know. Anyway, I've had a busy week. That's. Oh, actually, there was one more thing I did. I, wa- I forgot about this. Um, a while ago, I mentioned that I watched the South Park special uh, post-COVID. Yeah. And I mentioned that it ended in a cliffhanger with a second part called Post-COVID Return of COVID. Mm. And I watched that. And, you know, it's more South Park. If you recall, the post-COVID idea was 40 years in the future where... Uh, the pandemic has almost ended, but then Kenny died of a new variant. And he was a famous scientist who was researching time travel so he could go back and stop the pandemic from happening. Hmm. And his 
unhappy friends, uh, Stan Kyle and Eric Cartman, have come back into South Park and are stuck there because they're under quarantine um, because there's one person in town who was never vaccinated. What I discovered after the fact is that I didn't watch that season. This is considered the 24th season of South Park. And there were two previous specials, the pandemic special and the vaccination special. And I didn't watch those. But what I have learned is that they actually it's it's one story like the the reason that the kids aren't friends anymore going into post covid is because they break up in previous in the vaccination special. Ah. The ways that they all have different plans for the vaccine and it kind of leads them to their friendship to fall apart, which is why it's in such a mess in uh, the future. Okay. And this, so this new one, the idea is that Stan and Kyle and their friends, like all the Wendy and Craig and Tweak and all of them want to try to go back in time like Kenny wanted to and stop the pandemic. But Cartman is working against them Mm. because Cartman is the one person whose life is actually better in the future. Hmm. The the pandemic caused him to reevaluate his life choices and become a good person. Okay. And he has a family that he loves and he's he's (laughs) this is a minor spoiler. But one of the things in the recent years of South Park is Eric Cartman is like the worst person ever. Right. And one of his terrible character facets is that he's a raging anti-Semite. Yes, yes, yes. Um, part, part of his hatred of Kyle, who is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Well, in the future, he's a rabbi. Right. And he is concerned that if the pandemic doesn't happen, he's going to continue on the self-destructive path that he was on as a child. And he's not going to become a Jew and he's not going to meet his family and he's his life's going to fall apart. And so he wants to stop, stop them from stopping the pandemic. Mm. And the wild card is a character named Victor Chaos, (laughs) which is Butters. Oh, right. Oh, right. With his uh, tinfoil thing. Yeah. So Butters, it turns out during the pandemic, he when he was you know, quarantined in his room, his parents went out and died. And so Butters was grounded for 18 years hmm. and went completely insane and completely adopted his alter ego of Victor Chaos, who Butters, for those who don't know, is this little wiener kid. And one of his little alter egos, he he wants to be a supervillain called Professor Chaos and he does, you know, childish villain things that don't really work. In the future, Victor Chaos is a con man who has a superhuman ability to get people to invest in NFTs, which oh. ruins their lives. Mm-hmm. And so he's running around trying to get people to invest in NFTs and just causing, well, chaos by bankrupting everyone. Where they're like, I've lost my house and my family and everything, but I have this. It's a gif of a farting rainbow signed by Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, mm. I watched that and it was interesting. And, you know, you mentioned before that your problem with South Park is that it tends to fence sit a little bit like it treats. It right. goes after every side instead of really taking a stand. Right. And you're right. You're you're definitely not wrong about that. 
it's not really trying to have much of a message in this one, except for one, mm-hmm. which is everybody calm down. We're going to get through this pandemic. Which is a noble goal, I think. Okay. Given the, and, you know, given the panic that kind of, you know, we're still seeing today here in Canada with, I mean, until recently there was like a, a bunch of truckers who went to Ottawa and caused a blockade and stuff like protesting the idea of wearing masks. What a bunch and, of heroes. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it disgusted me because like it's, it trickles in a little around here. Like we live on the opposite side of the country from Ottawa and it, it was gross because anytime I would see a vehicle with a Canadian flag, I would just know that they're anti-vax, anti-maskers. Like at first I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, Oh, that's because of the Olympics. Right. But no, they're just, you know, they're, I, there was a, there was a truck that I would see going around quite often with flags all over it. And the guy, cause I work at a gas station and he was getting gas there. And the guy was wearing a shirt that was like proud member of the, f- of a fringe vocal minority or something like that. And I'm like, Ooh. you, geez, you mm. yeah, yeah. We have so, those two yeah. in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the message of this South Park season and that season is over. They have now gone into a regular 25th season of normal episodes. But Uh the message of the pandemic era South Park was everybody relax. We're going to be okay. And I think that's a noble because, you know, we're we're starting to get close to the end. And yeah, just calm down. We're going to be all right. right. Anyway, with that said, what do you have to say, Micah? Oh, just frivolous stuff. Um, okay. Okay, so we're doing our little um, regular Crunchyroll visits. Crunchyroll, lots of anime, lots of selection, terrible interface. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that has become our regular is a bit of fluff called My Dress Up Darling. Oh, I've seen bits of that. Have you? I saw you posted. So you um, put on Twitter a compilation video that somebody had made of all the feet in oh, no, no, that's, KB's yeah, yeah, sailor yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. And I, maybe because I watched that, I saw another video and I don't know if it's from the same person, but it was all the feet in my dress up darling. <laughs> okay. It's not so prominent there, but <laughs> it's, it's not. I think this person was grasping a straws or that this just what they do. <laughs> Look up feet. Mm. Um, so yeah, My Dress Up Darling is a high school show uh, featuring a um, a boy named uh, Wakana Gojo, and he is dedicated to the study of making Hina dolls. It's like a classic uh, ornamental Japanese dolls. Hmm. Um, and because it's like, it's a weird thing for a teenager to be interested in. Yeah. So he kind of feels like he can't connect with anybody. And he's got no friends. But one day he goes to the school to early to use the sewing machine and he encounters a cool gyaru, like a fashionable girl there. Mm-hmm. And he connects with her because, uh, well, she thinks it's, it's strange to see him there using the sewing machine. And she likes to do it, too, even though she's no good at it, because secretly she's also a uh, an otaku that she like she loves to do uh, cosplay as characters from cartoons and video games. <laughs> this is a 
maybe these exist. Like the 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 cool hot girl in your class is into this. Maybe. Um, hmm. Anyway, they they form a friendship and more based on him translating his skills at sewing really tiny outfits into making her costumes. Hmm. Um, hmm. But uh, one of the things about this, and a lot of shows now, they have gyarus in them. Gyaru is just like a bastardization of the word girl, right? But with like a little extra to it, like, yeah, right? Okay. Um, and it's this, it's a style. So uh, what's very typical is uh, these gyarus dyeing their hair blonde mm-hmm. um, and often having like, you know, bobbles and sometimes having uh, knee-high socks and there's there's various little bits of this and that. Okay, so um, a lot of, of main female characters in shows now are gyarus and sometimes it's even the point. Like, there's one show like, my first girlfriend is a gyaru, right? <laughs> and uh, the thing is, okay, so... People who like cartoons, a lot of a lot of us tend to like the way things look in cartoons better than real life. Okay. Right? Yeah. No, I'll I'll go along with that. Okay. Uh Gyarus in anime? Oh my god. They're just like gorgeous. I'm just like uh, I fall in love <laughs> right away when I see one, right? In- including the one featured here in Dress Up. Uh in real life, nowhere near as good. Now, <laughs> now I appreciate you know, it's funny. Now, I'll just interrupt briefly here because I I just did a um, Google search for Gyaru just to kind of refresh myself. It's like, wait, you know, he's talking about Gyaru a lot. Let me just quickly remind myself what that means so I don't have to stop and ask him. Yeah. And as you mention how much worse they are in real life, mm. uh, I have popped up images of real life Gyaru. And nope. yeah, yeah. There's a range I get to of see styles. What you're talking about in real time. There, there's a range of styles, and I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's several that are good. It's kind of like when you see a, a a goth woman who doesn't have it all together, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> like it drops off a cliff, right? But when it's all perfect, it's like, Mwah, right? <laughs> so, I'm sure that I could meet a gyaru in real life, and all the charm and everything would be perfect, right? And it would translate yeah. better, but just looking at like photos, like the anime has got this perfect blonde that gradients into like a honey color, right? Mm. Yeah. As opposed to like black hair that has a really hard time getting there, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's a culture that's not in every type of gyaru, but like of, of being tan. Now, the mm-hmm. worst of it, have you heard of ganguro? No. Oh my God! You wanna okay, Gonguro again. So this Gonguros have like really tanned skin, and it okay. that doesn't always work out great, right? <laughs> it looks <laughs> just like a little cracked and a little off-putting. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. again, when it's a cartoon, it's just this perfect caramel flat skin, right? Yeah. But then in real life, that and the false eyelashes and everything, I actually almost get close to throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> so, gosh, I'm picturing like a a teenage female Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but like, 
I don't know. It's funny, right? Because everybody who's drawing this right now is basing it on these, right? Yeah. And yet for me, it's this totally divergent thing where when I see it as an anime character design, I'm like, wow. And then I see it in real life. Well, I don't see it in real life. That's what I'm saying. Like, maybe there's something that doesn't translate to photos, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand. Based on the brief image search that I just did, I can, like, it's it, it, it's it's really weird. You don't, you don't see people in this part of Canada, at least, who are, like, in costume almost yeah yeah you know what i mean i mean like i said there's degrees like just just having blonde hair and being kind of fashionable in a way that you know is like a step above high schoolers i think Mm -hmm. i think less is more for gyaru-ness sure um yeah anyway that show it's entertaining it's light there's boobs okay (laughs) um so and the characters are nice too anyway so the other show. Okay, so Raven's family came over and uh, her sister was um, downloading a game. Yeah. And so we're waiting for this game to download and decide, decide, why don't we watch some anime in the meanwhile, right? And I think like, ah, I'll get them here. So <laughs> I've been waiting to put on Ranking of Kings again. I've mentioned this previously. This is that story about the prince who's a deaf mute. And even though his parents were giants, he's quite small, even for a human. Right. Yep. And he befriends this bandit that's part of the, like the assassin clan. And he, he just looks like two joined black puddles with eyes and like uh, a crab claw pincer, which I've learned is his mouth that comes okay. out. Or, and like arms, he can protrude arms for himself with little babyish hands. And he's he's got interesting skills like, you know, he can go up and down walls and he can slink under doors and stuff. Right. Um, at any rate, uh, I'd wanted to watch the show some more. And so I just, you know, eh, just just put it on for them. And so I watched beyond the first episode. And what a good show. Yeah. Uh, so. Ranking of Kings is about um, we haven't really gotten to the 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 namesake of the show that there's like some, some group that actually ranks all the Kings of the kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And the one who's, when they do the ranking, who comes up first gets to pick a treasure from heaven's vault. That hasn't factored into the storyline so far too much. What has is that the King is sick and, uh, there's moves to put, uh, Boji, the, the deaf prince is his younger brother as the candidate to become king. Hmm. Um, So there's just like layers of treachery in this thing. And the story really moves, which is weird to say because uh, just about every other episode is an origin story for one of the characters. (laughs) But it just, it goes, it's, it's fun. It's sentimental, right? Because Boji is so sweet and Kage, the, uh, the, the little shadow bandit is so sweet, too. Um, the character designs are really cartoony. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm. So, uh, I I don't know. I, th- I think maybe if even if you didn't like anime, you'd like this quite a bit. Um, oh, I, 
I just did a search for it. Yeah. I did not expect this visual style at all. Wow. No. And remember you said that Kage looked like a Pokemon. What do you think now that you've seen him? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that is not at all what I was expecting, but no, that's very much like a Pokemon. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is completely, I had no idea it was going to look like this. Well, there's another huh. thing. It's distinct, right? Yeah. 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 So, absolutely. One of the things I think is a little weird is they don't ever, they don't subtitle the sign language in it. There's not a lot of it, but mm. um, generally when somebody is signing with Boji, they speak aloud what they're saying and then they repeat what he signs back. So. Oh yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> and I don't know how insensitive it is, but when, when Boji, see Kage can understand Boji. So when he's speaking to his little friend, he's like, uh, 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 right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he'll repeat back what he said. So we're not clueless, but yeah. Um, anyway, I'm having a lot of fun so far. It's a good show. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can dig it. I might actually look into that myself. I like a distinct visual style like that. Like yeah. when I was picturing it as just anime, I was like, okay, right. I have a mental idea of what this is. Yeah. But now that I'm seeing it, it's like, oh, wait a minute. There might, this might be weirder and better than I thought. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, I've only watched, I don't know what I've watched, six, seven, eight episodes. So mm -hmm. maybe it goes, maybe it falls apart after that. But um, <laughs> so far, so good. Anyway, um, it's got a little hero. Maybe we, yeah. could go, we could go smaller. Yeah, speaking of little heroes, and you mentioned boobs a while ago. Oh, yeah. But let's not, let's not dwell on that. Because uh, okay. what we're watching here is something called Kirikou and the Sorceress. This is a French movie from 1998. And it is loosely based on folk tales from West Africa. Um, which actually led me to believe that the director, Michel Ocelot, maybe it's Ocelot, I don't know, he's French. Mm. Um, I thought, oh, maybe he's an African guy. Turns out, no, he's white. But hey, he did spend but he did spend hey. his childhood in West Africa. OK, there's white people in Africa. Hence, hence. Yeah, his childhood was spent there. Well, yeah, that's true. Mm. But anyway, this is. Um, well, let me just get into it. I, I don't think it needs a lot of preamble because it's not based no. on existing property like Asterix was. No, it's just its own thing. So let's get into it. It starts in a tribal village. This is all like. I don't actually know what time period this is because it's tribal people in Africa. It's timeless. It could be anything. Right. Um, so in this village, we see Kiriku born. Now, this happens as a pregnant lady is sitting there and the voice from inside her says, mother, give birth to me. It's in <laughs> French, but I watched the subtitle version. Yeah. And the mother, you know, responds she seems unfazed. This mother has no emotion to her whatsoever through this entire movie. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Uh, I, you'd expect the other characters to be that way. No, just just her. Yeah. Anyway, she just says, you know, any child that can speak from inside her mother's womb can give birth to himself. <laughs> and so this baby just crawls out from between her legs and plucks off his umbilical cord. Yeah. And basically... 
this little child, he's, he's, he functions like a, like a, a relatively, I don't want to say mature, but like a child, a functional child, yeah. even though he is the size of a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And he decides, you know, he wants to know where his father is and his family. And his mother explains that all of the men folk in the village at some time or another went to fight the sorceress Karaba. And we're all eaten by her, except for her brother, the last man in town, except for the old elder, yeah. who is now on his way to fight Karaba and no doubt be eaten. Now, Kiriku has superhuman speed and he runs <laughs> off to help. Yeah. And the uncle at first is like, what are you, you little kid? Get out of here. Hmm. So Kiriku devises a plan where he grabs the village elder's hat and hides under it. And the uncle finds this hat and puts it on. And now Kiriku can talk to him from under the hat. Once he gets to Karaba's hut, uh, with his extra, with Kiriku able to look out for him, he's able to fight off all of Karaba's fetishes. And I don't mean fetish like uh, a KB sailor suit fetishes. <laughs> I mean, like, little, if you play Diablo 2, you might recognize the little imps. In the third level. Sure. These are like animated objects, but I yes. saw one person describe before watching it, describe it as Karaba's robots, which isn't far off. No, they they kind of look like little wind up toys. Oh, Ooh. and they're they're crazy. Like they're animated with with no uh, in-betweens. So they just yeah. jolt from place to place like. <laughs> they shuffle. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, yeah. If you imagine like live action stop animation where someone is just shuffling her along the ground. Sure. It's like that. It's like she got her uh, her minions out of uh, Tron, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the uncle is able to fight them off because he has uh, Kiriku looking out for him. And uh, Karaba, the sorceress, overhears the hat talking and decides that it must be a magic hat. And she dis- she makes a deal to exchange leaving the village alone for the magic hat. And... Uh, Kiriku tells the uncle, go ahead and put the hat down. But then the hat runs away and a <laughs> handsy fetish goes off to catch it. Kiriku is clever and he exchanges the hat for one that he makes out of leaves, which doesn't really fool Karaba. Um, back at town, the 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 villagers are at first kind of happy about the idea that Karaba won't bother them anymore until her fetishes show up to say, hey, that hat was a fraud. Now you have to give us all your gold. Hmm. And this kind of had me wondering, like, do do African tribes people really care about gold? Um, I guess. I mean, just like anyone else, it's shiny and neat, right? Yeah. Like, this isn't me, like, being insensitive, like, oh, these savages, they don't know the value of a gold. I'm like, no, literally, like, if you don't have a currency system, why is gold important? Because the, well, whole, the whole yeah. reason that gold is important in our culture is because it is a, it's a material that does not tarnish. And so it's, it doesn't degrade, it doesn't rust. And so because it is basically eternal and relatively plentiful, but not too plentiful, it's useful as a currency. And if you don't have a monetary system, it, it just kind of looks pretty, but... Well, I guess I guess the gold is owned by the women. So maybe the implication would be that 
in order to woo a woman, you better give her some nice jewelry. Maybe? Yeah, uh, maybe. It's, it's I, fiery. I really don't know. I mean, pe- people love beautiful things, so I think it makes true. sense. True. Like, this is me being ignorant. This, yeah. is, this is not me making a stand like, oh, these African savages shouldn't care about refined <laughs> things like gold. I'm saying, no, like, I literally don't know if this is if this is a thing that African tribes are into. Cool. Fine. But I, I mean, know. I mean, Kiriku's mother expresses later that that, you know, water is necessary. Gold is just nice. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that but, is true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So all the women take their gold to Karaba and. Kiriku comes along and kind of questions why the whole time Kiriku's been questioning why Karaba is evil and he's not getting a straight answer. Mm. Um, here he finds out that the the their spring is dried up, but there there's a water hole. And anyway, the women leave their gold. But then Karaba sends a gold sniffing fetish to well, that's again, not. Can you say that? Earlier, you uh, said she sent a handsy fetish after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a handsy fetish. There's a lookout fetish. Yeah. Um, anyway, this fetish sniffs around and finds a necklace that one of the women buried. And she gets her house burned down. And they can't do anything about it because the water hole's so far away. So, I don't know. This is Kiraba, Kiriku. These two names are going to start to get mixed up here. Hmm. Kiriku gets to see firsthand the evil of Karaba. Yeah, Karaba. So next, this is, to this point, the movie's kind of episodic. Uh, The next point here is that Kiriku and his mother go to the water hole to get water, which is very far away. And there are kids splashing around playing in the water. And Kiriku stays stays with them. He wants to play with them, but the kids are like, ah, you're too small. You're you're nothing. Mm-hmm. And then a colorful boat shows up and Kiriku is smart enough to know that this is a trick from Karaba. But the kids are dumb enough to climb on and start playing. And then the boat speeds off, kidnapping them. Kiriku grabs a knife from a lady nearby who who is uh, picking fruit and pokes holes in the boat. So it sinks and the uh, and the villagers are able to escape and they they dance and sing and praise Kiriku for a moment. Yes. And, <laughs> and then that lady who was overseeing them kind of warns them, Kiriku is wise. Listen to him. You know, mm. he'll, he'll protect you from the sorceress. So immediately they find a tree and ignore Kiriku's advice that it's a trap. And it's a trap, it turns out. It catches right. the children and runs off to deliver them back to Kariga, Karaba. And so... Once again, Kiriku grabs a knife, cuts down the tree and saves the children and they sing his praises again. So I think we have fully established now that uh, the Kiriku is the smartest one here. <laughs> I love I love that when he goes back to the village that I think as his mother mentions that they've they've made a theme song for you. And he says, well, I've saved them twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, back at town, um, Kiriku decides this is the point that you mentioned where they, yeah, the kids made a song for me and he decides the water hole so far away, he needs to do something about this dried up spring. So he goes over there and climbs up into the spout 
through some caves and finds that there's a weird creature inside which is just drinking all the water. It's completely bloated and full. He thinks about it, goes and once again steals a pointy object from one of the nearby uh, adults, goes in and punctures the thing, which causes the spring to start flowing again. But he seems to drown. And after an interminable sequence of nothing happening, he eventually comes to life. I will say that the pacing of this is pretty slow, like this movie in general. Hmm. Okay, so there's this... uh, Karaba has a, as I said, a lookout fetish. There's a, a thing with big eyes on top of her hut that can see all over the place, and it sees that Kiriku has survived... And the spring is flowing again. And Karaba is just apoplectic. She's like, she needs to get rid of this Kiriku. Hmm. And back at, back at the village, Kiriku still wants to know why Karaba is evil. And his mother doesn't have much of an answer. But she tells Kiriku about his grandfather, the wise man of the mountains, who lives in a big red termite mound on the far side of Karaba's hut. With his mother's help... Kiriku sneaks into an animal burrow near Karaba's hut, unseen by the fetish, which still thinks that he's in his house back in town. Mm. In the tunnels, Kiriku encounters some animals. First, it's this weird, like, badger thing, and then some squirrels. He saves the squirrels from the badger and earns their friendship. And uh, they are able, he's able to get out. He follows the squirrels out. Basically, the badger thing drops a stink bomb. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, the squirrels know how to get out, and so Kiriku follows them. I think it's a Zorilla or Zorilla. Okay. It's, it's basically a skunk, skunk, yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. So now Kiriku's out on the far side of the hut, although the lookout fetish can still see. So he makes a plan where he disguises himself as a bird so he can get away from the lookout fetish without being seen. Once he is out of the fetish's range, he gets chased by a boar, but then figures out that he can climb onto the boar and use its sensitive ears to steer it like a mount. Mm. And in this way, he reaches the big termite mound and finds his grandfather, the wise man, inside. Yeah, I like the um, I like the musical sting for the menace of the boar <laughs> when, it, yeah, when, yeah. The, when the warthog first appears. It's like a dong and. Uh, <laughs> Also, I, thought, I was one. I was wondering the the uh, warthog makes like these wheezing noises, like right. Yeah. Do you think Frank Welker got a royalty check from this? <laughs> <laughs> like his non-Yuzhen French equivalent. Yeah, I almost imagine that there's a sound effects package of Frank Welker animal <laughs> noises that you can purchase. That would be great. Just a Frank Welker animal soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the last button on it is Slimer going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so now that he's talking to his grandfather, the wise man, Kiriku gets some answers. First of all, Karaba never actually ate the men of the village. She she won't eat corpses, obviously. She mm. just hates everyone because she's in constant pain from a poison thorn. Actually, I think it would be a venomous thorn embedded in her spine. Apparently, Mm. some men drove it in there for reasons that aren't well explained, but that wouldn't be the first time men have done things to a woman for no reason. Yeah. Now, she doesn't actually want the thorn to get out. First of all, she can't reach it. Right. But also, 
she knows that it would hurt even more once it's removed Mm -hmm. and it gives her her magical powers. Right. And so Kiriku decides, well, he's going to get that thorn out. He goes back into the tunnels and digs his way into Karaba's hut from underneath. And then the first thing he decides to do is steal all the women's gold and jewels back. I guess it's not really stealing if they were stolen first. Well, plus he it's part of his plan, right? He wants to draw her out specifically. Yeah, I guess. I didn't really realize that at the time. But yeah, he he steals all the gold back. And when Karaba finds her treasure gone, she sends. Oh, I typed snack here, but it's a snake. (laughs) She sends a snake in after him, but uh, of course, Kiriku's too clever and avoids it. Now, the lookout fetish sees Kiriku escape with the gold, and it tells Karaba that he's burying the gold. And so Karaba decides, all right, I'm going to do this myself. She heads out and she has this aura of death around her as she walks all the plants around her die. She goes and finds where the gold is buried and digs it up. And while she's bent over... Kiriku drops on her from a tree and (laughs) removes the thorn. And of course, there's initial tremendous pain, which causes Karaba to scream, scream rather. Mm. But then she is amazed that she doesn't feel any pain anymore. And everything, all the plants around her grow into a beautiful jungle. (laughs) She is grateful to Kiriku and, you know, she's like, oh, how can I ever repay you? And... Out of nowhere, in one of these things that only really makes sense if you believe, if you view this as a folk tale. Right. Is that Kiriku wants to marry her. (laughs) Well, you got to admit, this is a decisive newborn. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What is he, four days old at this point? There's another movie, Kiriku and uh, something like Beasts and Serpents or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I understand it, it takes place alongside this. Oh, I was wondering. Well, for for reasons, I guess we'll get into in the next second here. Yeah. Yeah. Let me finish with this first. Um, So there's a long conversation that kind of goes nowhere. Basically, Karaba saying, Hamana, Hamana, no, you're a baby. And by the time you're grown up, you'll find some other lady. Mm. And Kiriku settles for a kiss, which causes him to grow into an adult man. And now I guess they're in love and uh, they return to the village. Of course, the villagers are skeptical that this is Kiriku and Karaba. And they're also skeptical that Karaba is no longer an evil sorceress. But Kiriku's mother identifies him. And the, there's still the matter of Karaba being evil and all the things she's done, especially eating all the village men. And mm. as they're about to attack, all the village men, along with the wise man, return Because it turns out that Karaba turned the men into her fetishes, which, again, robot fetishes, not. Right. And now the spell is broken and the villagers all together get to live happily ever after. And that's the end. Hmm. So, yeah, just to go finish that thought, uh, the other movie takes place while Karaba is still an evil, evil sorcerer and it's other stories that go on parallel to the stuff that's going on here. Right. Cause I think he loses a lot if he's not this tiny fast baby. Yeah, really? Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, the, the other two movies are Kiriku and the wild beasts. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah. And then the third one is Kiriku and the men and women, 
which for a title, <laughs> I don't know, like, does it become a romantic comedy? You know, like, <laughs> I used to be a baby. What does she want? I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. When Kiriku met Karaba. Yeah. So let's see what to talk about this movie. Um, I, it, I found it a little bit on the dull side, but at the same time, I recognize that if this is based on folk tales, you can't really spruce it up too much. You got to stay true to the source material because otherwise you're just perverting another culture. Well, you say you gotta, like if this were Disney, they would have changed it a lot. Oh, I was thinking about Pocahontas, actually, which is not... Or, or Aladdin or whatever. Yeah, right? that, like, I guess Pocahontas is actually the worst. Um, well, because that's not a folk tale. That's a, a real person. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah, like, again, you can't mess around with folk tales too much because then you're just perverting someone else's culture. So well, I don't there, hold it against this being a little bit on the slow and kind of incoherent side. Well, there are things that you didn't like that I like better than you. Okay. Like, okay, so I did like the straightforward fairy tale ness of this. Sure. That it is sort of like, I'm a hero and I'm going to do these things. In fact, he's a little like uh, Hercules or Asterix in the sense that he's born and it's just like, I'm going to knock off these labors one after another. Right. I get that. Like, I, I appreciate yeah. that. I don't think I would want this movie to be made any other way. Okay. I like how genuine it is. Like it is telling these folk tales just as like this, this, a more detailed version of the synopsis that I just gave is yeah. the way that some tribal elder would probably tell the children of the tribe this story. I guess. But my, um, my point is, though, that there's some parts in there that I think you found boring, but I found kind of interesting. Like, mm. it's weird that in the middle of this movie, that's like a fairy tale. Kiriku and his mother get into a philosoph philosophical discussion about the nature of evil. Sure. That was yeah. that was kind of weird uh, and interesting. Let's see. And I thought the courting, like, it seems to come out of nowhere, but but the courting of Kiriku to Karaba after she's had the thorn removed. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting, too. And I liked the way that she deflected it. So I yeah. kind of like that, even though maybe found a little slow. I, I thought it was some interesting... Um, interaction between good Karaba and Kiriku. I think um, I appreciate the concept of it more than the execution. Like, again, like mm. I said, I wouldn't want it done any other way because I want it done in a genuine fashion. And I get, I appreciate the fact that, you know, this is something that would happen in a, in a folk tale like this, where it's like, oh, you've saved me. How can I repay you? Marry me. Like, I can get that. Like, that would happen in a fairy tale. Oh, and definitely for a character like him that's just like, He's so heroic and straightforward, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like natural, like, well, you're clearly the best woman, so I'm going to marry you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was having fun in the while well, watching the movie, too. Like, <laughs> um, I got to admit that I was cracking up in the early going every time Kiriku would solve a problem by speeding off from it. And <laughs> he's and his because he's tiny, right? But his yeah. footfalls are rapid. They're like, yes, yeah. <laughs> the noise. I was going to I was going to make that same sound effect, actually, if you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, and uh, I like that. He's just like, oh, there's trouble. Run, get a tool, come back, sol solve it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and I like him. I like that he is so straightforward and good. Yes. I don't mean I don't mean to say he's simple. Right. But he's like. 
the song goes, Kiriku is small, but Kiriku is bold. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yep. And I, I kind of like looking at him too. Um, so mm-hmm. I was having, I was having fun. So I guess that's, that's a difference, right? We're saying it's slow or whatever. And I was thinking like, no, that's, I had a fun time watching him rescue them and having them now all dance around and singing about how cool he is. Um, yeah. And I like Karaba. We don't get like a full, but I guess, I guess it's fine. Like what, what can she do? Well, I guess a lot. I mean, she has a magic boat and uh, mm. a magic tree. Now, oh, this is one thing though. So this movie is, is uh, I mentioned last time, it's got a hundred percent on common sense media. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, it's approved for your family, right? Right. Now, my impression though, is that this is a pretty scary movie. Like hmm. those fetishes are scary watching them have their alien movements and their soundtrack yeah. is pretty scary too. It's true. And then also, also seeing those kids screaming while the tree is racing off with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other part of me thinks that some people will want to watch this movie for the same reason that kids uh, for time immemorial have scoured national geographic. <laughs> They'll be like, which, which cartoon do you want to put on? Uh, Kiriku, the one with the boobs. Yeah. Now, so this is kind of a point of controversy about this movie, as I understand it, in that some more some countries that have a more conservative history to them, like the United States, uh, Germany, the UK, Mm. which I find weird because, you know, Monty Python was putting boobs on TV in the 60s. Right. Um, The idea that there is nudity like this is they don't sugarcoat these african tribes like no kids are naked kids are naked and adults just wear a wrap around their lower bodies right um so there's so all the women have bare breasts and i did like that there's one woman who has these really sagging like yeah stalactite breasts (laughs) (laughs) now Women are very sensitive about this stuff, you know. Okay, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that they actually depicted different body types like that. Now, Karaba has got the best body, one could argue, and <laughs> she's got jewelry that like accentuates stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I. There was a couple of times where I was thinking, how is she sticking those gold nuggets around her nipples? Right. <laughs> no, that's our celery stalker slogan. Uh, <laughs> no, one thing I thought was funny is like, okay, so is Karaba hot? So one thing, mm. the kiss that makes uh, Kiriku grow into a full-grown man, yeah, also splits her unibrow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yes, I think she's better with the unibrow. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go uh, back and compare and contrast. I was actually waiting for, <laughs> with the notion that she might become good. I was, I was like waiting. It's like, is it going to solve her unibrow? It did. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's hilarious that you fixated on that so much and I didn't even notice it. It's pretty well, awesome. Once I knew, once I figured that she was going to become good, right? Which mm. I guess I had been all along because uh, Kiriku all story long was asking why is she evil, right? Mm-hmm. That he was yeah, going to sure. find the reason. And, um, you know, maybe it, maybe it's something. Maybe I was more engaged in this than I thought because yeah. it I never really stopped to consider how it was going to end. Oh, okay. Like I didn't you know, Yeah. Cuz you say, you know, like, oh, obviously he's talking about why she's evil so much. That's obviously foreshadowing that she's going to be good. 
Yeah. I was just, I wasn't even trying to think about where it was going to go. I was just going along for the ride. Mm. And you know, um, what do you think visually of this movie? It's interesting. Um, it's, I don't know. Like it's, it's drawn fairly realistically. Like it doesn't have a, yeah. a lot of like cartoon, you know, you say the idea of like cartoons look better than real life and yeah. it doesn't really play around with visual style that much. Um, the one, I think the biggest, I think the fetishes mm-hmm. um, are interesting characters and the idea that the fuzziness of the squirrels is depicted by them not having an outline. They just kind of, yeah. they're these like f- brown smudges. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't really like that, though, mm. myself. Yeah, but, it, it was a little weird, but, you know, at the same you know, time. You know what What, what gave me a lift was mm. when Kiriku uh, went underground or into a jungle, because anywhere that was lush and verdant, a lot of this movie is kind of yellow. Well, I guess, I guess they do a good job identifying the areas, right? That the savanna is very yellow and parched. Yeah. And then jungle areas are just lush and colorful and detailed. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Karabas hut, hut is, yeah, it's metallic. It's yep. yeah. So yeah, and then the, the underground sequences were neat too. Actually, one bit, uh, two bits actually. Uh, there's parts where he's in the darkness, so he's moving more or less as a silhouette. Yes. And I was reminded of a coworker who's playing through Limbo right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I was reminded of that boy getting killed in lots of excruciating ways. No, um, sure, yeah. Me, yeah. I just you know I'm an idiot. Or too mm-hmm. smart for my own good, because as he's digging in these tunnels, I'm just thinking dirt doesn't just disappear when you take it off the wall like that. Dirt's got to go somewhere. But mm. I that's just me being a stickler. Well, I guess there's like pockets in between. And once you uh, mash it into granular form, it can, you know, flatten yeah, out a little bit. It's not important. The folk story, I, I like I said, you know, if. If there was some tribal elder telling this story, he'd be like, and so Kiriku used his father's dagger to dig the burrow all the way to the bottom of Karaba's hut. He wouldn't go into and, you know, stopping to move the dirt out of his way or whatever. Like, it's right. not important. It's not it's not part of this story. Mm. And I appreciate that. Like I said, I appreciate that this is done in such a genuine way that it's like. Right. This is the way this story would be told. This is the way these people would look. We're not going to have their hair over their nipples. In fact, most <laughs> of the characters don't have very long hair at all. In fact, no, some don't short. have any hair. I like Kiriku's spike of hair, which he adorns yes. a couple times in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that he grew into a man. But as mm. you say, they're, the, the other movies are parallel, so he can be a, a, a fast baby again. Yeah, yeah. But... I was thinking also, he's a small baby. What if he grew into a miniature man, right? (laughs) So, like, he just grew into a four foot, but, you know, proportional big man, you know, (laughs) shrunken down. Sure. I mean, you could do weird things like, no, his height stays the same. It's just that his body shape Oh, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, he ruins his theme song, too, right? Because his theme song is like, Kiriku is small, but he's strong. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. So, oh, you know, this this, this parallels Asterix in a way, right? Yeah. Well, because it is him knocking off labors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, once again, well, yes, there's that. And once again, our protagonist goes up a mountain to talk to a wise man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's happening yeah, over yeah. and over. Yeah, that's true. Huh. 
I wonder if we I can look- continue that. Uh, yeah, what did you like? Here. Oh, I was looking up uh, uh, Michel Ocelot. Mm-hmm. He's known for Princes and Princesses and We Are the Star and a bunch of other titles that I've never seen or heard of. The question is, would you watch any of them? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I looked at his Wikipedia article briefly, and it seems like he his thing is that he uses a different animation style with each of his product projects. So mm. that might be kind of cool to watch. Uh, he made a Bjork music video oh. in 2008 <laughs> called Earth Invaders. Or is it Earth Intruders? I think it's Earth Intruders. Mm. Uh, so... If, if he's, like, really that into the uh, media of animation and playing with the different ways that he can it can be done, you know, good for him. And, and you know, if he's if he wants to do these faithful, you know, a faithful representation of an African folk tale. I mean, this isn't strictly a folk tale. It's inspired by folk tales. So he wrote it himself just kind of based on folk tales. So, yeah. And I was, I was reading like a. Uh a assignment, a school assignment for this oh, yeah. uh, that noted cultural things like how he, um, the idea of like a fairy tale kiss um, reverting hmm. a form or changing yeah. a form is, is yeah. like a European thing, right? It's like, ah, they wouldn't have had this. Oh, okay, this is just yeah. something he, he put in there, but yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, this guy seems like an interesting guy. Hmm. And this was an interesting little movie. Like I said, I thought the pacing was a little bit off, but at the same time, I appreciate that it was made the way that it was made. And I'm glad right. somebody did it. Yeah. And, you know, I say give it a try, if only to enjoy watching a super fast baby solve problems. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that has appeal. Yeah. Well, let's move on to next week. We've watched some movies and stuff and now it's time to get back into what we love which is the shorts oh yes I love shorts I got a shorts fetish <laughs> so we're gonna do the thing where we each give each other two animated shorts to watch I decided to look specifically for cartoon characters that we hadn't looked at yet oh yeah so first of all I want you to watch a foghorn leghorn I say, I say. Yeah, it's called Plop Goes the Weasel. Uh, I was just talking about that weasel. Okay. <laughs> that little lickety weasel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, the other one <laughs> is Dixieland Droopy. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know the one. Yeah. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, to some degree, I'm also doing characters we haven't done before, but also one we have. Okay, for you, Matsy, I would like you to watch a little Audrey cartoon Ooh. called Tarts and Flowers. Hmm, okay. And I would like you to watch Betty Boop huh. and Grampy. Ooh. Yeah. You lost me, then you got me back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Betty Boop's pretty good, actually. She's got Grampy, after all. Yeah, true. Anybody who has Grampy can't be that bad. Hmm. All right. And that's the name of the cartoon? Betty Boop and Grampy? That is the name of the cartoon. Okay, cool. I can dig it. I will watch it. Look forward to that, everybody. 
We got Foghorn, Leghorn, Droopy, Little Audrey, Betty Boop, and most importantly, Grampy. So, in the meantime, let everybody know what you think of this podcast and tell them that it's good, please. <laughs> and uh, tell everybody to listen to it as well. And let us know what we should watch. I'm on Twitter at AC Matsy. And hey, it's at least content. We can agree on that, right? Um, yeah, so I'm at Drab Swatch on Twitter. Now, Celerace like a slogan. All right, who are you two working for? Like it. We don't have jobs. Yeah, we're just a couple of uh, dum-dums. 